Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for tuning in. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. This show is simultaneously streamed to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter every night. So, of course, I want to send out a big uh, welcome and thank you to all our moderators on Instagram and all the other platforms. Uh, want to welcome, let's see who we have here. We have Christopher Cunningham joining us. Philip is with us. Lisa Sej is with us as well on Facebook. On the Instagram side, McGraw just joined us. K1 uh, Zos is also with us saying hello. Hello back, Zos. Jericho is joining us and a uh, whole bunch of other people. So I hope everyone is doing well. And uh, wow, I saw the uh, latest Walking Dead episode last night. And uh, make no mistake about it. That episode that was just aired this past weekend is all about Princess and nothing more but to give us an insight into Princess's background. We got no real useful information about the Commonwealth. Nothing, really, absolutely nothing. It was all about Princess. And the whole episode was to give us an idea of her background, what kind of family she came from. We know that she has suffered many abuses when she was growing up. We also know how she has been coping living for a whole year in isolation in that city, she's basically having hallucinations, which explains a lot about that scene when we first got to meet her, when she comes across Yumiko, Eugene, and Ezekiel, about her questioning them if they're actually real. That makes a whole bunch more sense right now. Uh, you know, I believe when she met them, she asked them a question. She asked them to ask her a question that she would not know an answer to. Or it was reverse, basically the capital of some state. And it makes perfect sense after watching this past Sunday's episode. And it's not really hard to imagine uh, suffering from traumatic, traumatic, uh, you know, PTSD from growing up and then having the zombie apocalypse thrown into that, living in isolation uh, an entire year. We know how she arranged all the walkers in that abandoned city uh, in various cafes. She's a very imaginative person. And she even says so in yesterday's episode. She is a person who has a big imagination. But that show that we just saw this past weekend endeared Princess even more to my heart. Uh, she is such a real character that a lot of people can relate to. That's why she became a fan favorite from the first second that we saw her on the screen. And after the episode... Uh, this past Sunday's episode, it just endeared her even more into all of our hearts. 
so I love the fact that they dedicated a whole episode to giving us some background information on Princess. Now, moving forward, are we going to get any more background on her? Is it really necessary? I don't really think so. I think we can go now into season 11 in regard to Princess's character and know what we need to know as fans to see how she is going to interact and react to the people that she's going to come across. Uh, Not only our survivors back at Alexandria, but also the Commonwealth, okay? The Commonwealth, like I said, no new information was revealed in this last week's episode. Nothing, really. Uh, Yeah, you know, I, I love the fact that Princess referenced their action figure outfits. That's, make no mistake about it, that is a direct reference to calling their outfits stormtroopers. <laughs> and as far as the Walking Dead is allowed to do so. Uh, I love that line. Uh, we know she doesn't like dark spaces. She doesn't like tight quarters. She is very smart. Okay? She is very smart. I don't understand while she was being interrogated. Give him your name. I mean, she thinks if she would have told him her name, it would be her narking on her friends. In the post-apocalyptic world, what does a name matter? I mean, really, what does it matter? And some of the questions that the Commonwealth uh, soldier was asking her, I don't know if he truly cared about the answers to those questions, or he was testing her in some way. Either way, who cares what her name is? Where were you when the fall happened? Okay, so your name is Princess and you were in Pittsburgh. How does that help us moving forward? I have no idea. I think they were just testing her and everyone else that got questioned that we did not get to see on the screen as to maybe loyalty. Uh, Can they be trusted to reveal the Commonwealth to these strangers? We know Stephanie is involved. She obviously told them that she thought just Eugene was coming and wasn't expecting a group of four more of three other people to be with him maybe that's what set them into this defensive protective mode maybe if it was just eugene that showed up at the uh, rail track they would approach him differently but he ended up coming with three other people right there you know you know they might have suspected something was off so instead of greeting him differently they, of course, took the very aggressive route. And to be honest, if you're supposedly meeting someone that you've been having conversations with on the radio for many months, you don't expect that kind of greeting. You just don't. So I understand how everybody was really surprised. And when she found that way out of the rail card car, and had an escape, and 
wanted to go check on Yumiko, which we'll get to that and her interaction with Yumiko in a second. Eugene was trying to uh, basically tell her and remind her, hey, I've been talking to this girl for so many months. Uh, They are just testing us out, which he's probably correct. He was right. Uh, But she has triggers. Uh, Princess has a lot of triggers, and uh, she is capable of violence. The way she took... That whole sequence of events when we thought Ezekiel came into that train car and, uh, you know, I, I, I bought into it. I did not. I was totally surprised when we found out it was a complete hallucination. Totally surprised. And I loved how they did that. They caught us off guard. They're really great at doing that on The Walking Dead. It was basically her. And you can imagine this Commonwealth soldier who just came in to deliver her some food. And the way we saw it, uh, Ezekiel came out of nowhere and knocked him out. And I'm wondering, since Ezekiel was a figment of Princess's imagination, how did that happen? You know, how did Princess get the upper hand on this armed soldier. So she has skills. She's got skills. She's strong. Uh, She just has a, uh, she has been around people for a very, very long time. So she has a hard time distinguishing what is real and what is not real. And uh, another important scene in that episode was when she crawled out of that space again and she made it to the gate and her hallucinations on the other side of the gate in the form of two walkers and Ezekiel were, that was her part of the brain that's kept her in survival mode for so long, telling her, hey, you don't know these people. Let's go. Let's do what we've always done. But she... Didn't do it. To her credit, she did not abandon uh, Yumiko, Eugene, or Ezekiel. She stayed behind, went back into the train car, even though everything inside her was telling her to run. She did not run. And then, of course, the final scene, they open the train car, and we see her friends hooded. And that's where it ends. What that means, what that's, what what it's going to play into, how it's going to proceed, and because we're not going to see this again till season eleven starts, I have no idea. I really have no idea. Uh, but I really believe in what Eugene said. This is the way the Commonwealth, the soldiers, were caught off guard. I believe that Stephanie is at the rail yard. I really do. And the person who's going to be playing Stephanie is Margot Bingham. That was announced many, many months ago. Uh, I'm pretty sure we are going to get introduced to her probably in the season premiere of season 11. We are not going to see Yumiko, Eugene, Ezekiel, or Princess again till the beginning of season 11. 
when we go full steam into the Commonwealth. And we just have to wait until then to see what plays out next. And uh, we just got little glimpses of Eugene through uh, the great in his train car. Uh, Yumiko was had the least screen time. We saw her in the beginning when uh, they were taking them all separately, how she fought back for them to leave Princess alone, and they knocked her out. Now, you got to start questioning, because of Princess's hallucinations, how much of that was real? Did that actually happen? Uh, did Yumiko fight back, trying to get to Princess as Princess was being taken into custody, for lack of a better term? Did they whack Yumiko across the head? with that rifle when she was supposedly talking to Yumiko, who was in the next car over, was that really Yumiko? Was Yumiko there? Did Yumiko get hurt? We don't know. It could have all been a figment of Princess's imagination. We have no idea. The only thing that I'm pretty sure was real was Eugene trying to talk her out of escaping, letting him out of his train car, and Eugene telling her to get back inside and just go along with what they're saying. They're testing us. Just play along. That, I'm pretty sure, was real. But everything else, we know the whole Ezekiel sequence was a figment of her imagination. Uh, did Yumiko get hurt? Was that Yumiko in the next train car? Was Yumiko talking to her? We have no idea. No idea. Uh, we do know that Princess has a very, very active imagination. And I know the chats have been going crazy. I'm just going to read some of your comments. Uh, Christopher Cunningham says, love the channel. Thank you, Christopher. It's great to have you here. Daniel Marino is also with us on uh, Facebook. So is Tyler Durden on YouTube. Welcome to you, uh, to all you guys. Thank you for joining us. Colette writes, she seems so mixed up. Yeah, poor kid. I feel bad for her too, but I think her not being in isolation anymore is probably the best thing that can happen to her because God only knows what would have ended up happening, happening to Princess if she never came across Yumiko and the gang, uh, she could have just completely gone into her own world and would never be able to come back. Uh, Philip writes, I love the part where Princess beat the heck out of the dude in the train car. That was kick-ass. Uh, I did not know she had that in her. You know, she's... A lot of people judge her on the very flashy wardrobe the very colorful wardrobe that princess likes to wear but make no mistake about it she's extremely smart she is strong she took down a fully armed soldier with her bare hands don't forget that uh lisa writes she's not totally broken she's a survivor cc writes that scene with her beating on the soldier and thinking it was Ezekiel was freaky, though. Yeah, I compare that scene 
to exactly when Lydia was captured by Daryl and Daryl was uh, interrogating her in the hilltop cell and how Lydia twisted the background story of what happened when the zombie apocalypse broke out and when Lydia was first telling the story in order to protect her mother, Alpha, because she had been so brainwashed by Alpha, she completely twisted the roles of her father and mother. She made her dad out to be the bad guy and her mom be an angel. And by the end of that episode, I loved how they we found out the truth. It was completely turned around. It was her mother, who is Alpha, who is the complete psychopath. And the zombie apocalypse allowed what she really was to come out and play. And I've mentioned this before on this show. The post-apocalyptic world is a psychopath's playground. That's why you see so much evil. Because all the people, you know, pre-apocalypse that had to pretend, put on a show in order to blend in with society, when the world falls apart, they can be their true selves and let all that evil that they have inside them just come out and go crazy. Um, Collette also writes a very psychology show, very intense. It deeply got into her. Um, just uh, Donnie's also with us on YouTube, saying the hole in the wall and the cutout was not there later in the episode. So it was all imagined. Great point. That's a great point, Donnie. Uh, I don't remember not seeing that hole again, but I totally believe you. That hole could have uh, very easily could have been a figment of her imagination. And if that hole was a figment of her imagination, then I'm completely wrong. The one part that I thought was real, and that being Eugene, that never happened as well. She never got out of that train car, but only to be interrogated. Only to be interrogated, and that's it. If that hole was not there later on in the episode. Tyler also writes, when the soldier said he was so new, he didn't have ammo, I expected her to point and pull the trigger. Yeah, I didn't believe him either. And he was, if he was uh, BSing her, and there were bullets in that uh, gun, he took a big risk. <laughs> he, he was playing with his own life. He was playing with his own life, uh, making those remarks. Want to welcome Warley, who's just joined us on Instagram. Hitch has also joined us. Welcome, guys, all you guys on Instagram. Juan Carlos is with us on YouTube, as is Alexander. Hello to you guys. We have Plasma Nova um, saying, I'm confused. Why did Zarak not die when he got bit? Who are you referring to? I'm just a little bit confused. Uh, Dylan is also with us on YouTube saying, huge fan. Keep it up, my man. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you for joining us tonight. I love this. We have a nice big crowd with us tonight. And... Uh, I appreciate all you guys joining me tonight, so thank you. So, what we do now is we're going to go over what the media had to write about the episode. And 
as you all know, I like to reserve reading the articles so we can read them together here on the show. But from what I've read in the headlines, it looks like a lot of the critics did not appreciate this past Sunday's show for what it was supposed to be. Whether they didn't get it or not, I don't know. But let's go ahead and read this first article. I've noticed a similarity between the two basic types of Walking Dead fans and gamers. In both camps, you have your hack and slash types who crave action with little to no interest in complex plots or any plot at all. Then there are the hardcore devotees who can recall obscure storyline details from years ago. That's us. Perhaps they attend uh, conventions or enjoy cosplay or write fan fiction or even read recaps. If you're among the former then and it's undead slaughter you crave, this chapter was probably a big letdown, meaning that this was not an action-filled episode. Besides the hallucinations of the walkers next to Ezekiel, we really did not see any other zombies in this show. There were more zombies in the opening credits than anywhere else. And the two useless flesh bags we saw stuck on the fence, but this intimate princess close-up was moving enough to perhaps even win over zombie splatter purists and those who find her quirks more annoying than endearing. Added tantalizing morsel of insight into the military outfit that's holding her and her new pals captive, and you've got a fairly satisfying episode. The scene where the season finale left off as the foursome Princess, Zeke, Eugene, and Yumiko is rounded up and separated by low-rent, I love this, low-rent stormtroopers. <laughs> low-rent stormtroopers in red-striped white armor. Princess makes a move for one of their weapons, and Yumiko takes a rifle stock to the head when she tries to help. Being isolated in separate dark train cars does not work well for Miss P., who counts steps in Spanish and recites city names to ward off a panic attack. As she tries to talk to Yumiko in the neighboring boxcar, she tugs on a wood plank and gets a splinter. That silver is a metaphor for a nagging pain that's not life-threatening, but hard to get rid of. Princess, as we learn, is carrying some deeply embedded emotional splinters as well. From the start, Princess seems more concerned about her new friends than for herself. She tries to keep a concussed Yumiko awake by chatting a lot, and when her buddy is dragged away by the troopers, she tries to convince Eugene to launch a rescue mission. Both of her friends express some concern that Princess is more trouble than help. Yumiko implores her to do as she's told, and Eugene goes even further by saying she's going to make things worse. These probably accurate comments really sting as Princess is touched by the idea that people are truly friends, 
the first she's had in a very, very long time. Eugene, of course, is still holding out hope that this army is tied to his dream girl, radio pal, Stephanie. Because, well, let's be honest, what else does Eugene have going for him? Ouch! Damn, that's harsh! But his argument that the troopers are not necessarily bad people kind of crumbles when Princess is interrogated. Her very creepy, naked examination is explained as a zombie bite check, so as not to suggest an any awful connotation otherwise, meaning these guys were perverts. But what, when it ends with a backhand that sends Princess flying, and the reason is because you're being a bitch, even Eugene would have to agree these guys and the few we meet are all men are not good folks. At least old Rick kept his housing application questionnaire short. This one is a real grill session. What were you doing during the fall? How old are you? What was your SAT score? Did they ask that? Your social security numbers and net incomes for each of your friends. No, they did not ask that. The slap that Princess suffered evokes memories of a sad tale at the root of her trauma. She recalls being in a similar spot as a kid, locked away as punishment. She caught a splinter from scratching at the door jam. Her stepdad smacked her in the mouth like the trooper did. She fights back, tears while admitting her jaw has been fractured several times. Perhaps worse than her father's physical abuse, and more accurately, it was her stepdad, was the emotional damage from her cold, cruel mom, who, as we learned on Sunday, would not step in to protect her daughter from her stepdad that was abusing her. The twist comes when Ezekiel rather magically appears through a hatch in the roof and then cold cocks a trooper who came to deliver food. Now, that should have been a signal to all of us. It did not ring any red bells to me, but it really should have been a signal that that is really not something that Ezekiel would do. Besides, when that stormtrooper came in, it's a square box that she's being held in. There is no place to hide. So how did he stay out of that guy's line of sight long enough to pop out of nowhere and knock his lights out? But I missed it. Now it's their turn to do the interrogating, and the very young soldier looks like he could be in some sort of uh, end-of-the-world ROTC program. He knows very little but talks a good game. We've got valuable stuff. And then... uh, Princess's response is medicine, ponies, and we're for the benefit of all who seek solace at our gates. Well, you sure have a funny way of saving people, pal. While Princess sees this kid as one of the scary action figures who came to life, the kid is more concerned about the paperwork he has to fill out. Three hoots and a cot is all I got, lady. No quality intel. Boy Soldier is also worried about what his bros 
will think about getting snatched up by some chick. And that little misogynist line is also a clue as to what is really going on. When he tries to steal his rifle back, Zeke pummels him with a few within a few inches of his life. But it's not really Ezekiel. Princess has been all along talking to herself and also kicking this guy's ass quite handily. When the soldier later asks who is she talking to, Princess delivers a classic, honest self-diagnosis. I'm not crazy if that's what you're thinking. I mean, there's the ADHD, the PTSD, the depression, the crushing loneliness, and the active imagination that helps me cope with all of that. But, like, maybe that's the only sane response to an insane world. You know what I'm saying? We hear you, sister. Miss Princess considers ditching her new friends, but another weird conversation with imaginary Ezekiel and two trained enthusiast zombies changes her mind. What was up with the train uh, getup that those walkers were wearing in uh, Princess's imagination? I mean, if we're all going to imagine zombies, you know, how many of them picture a zombie being a former train conductor. I mean, that's just out of nowhere. It's cool. It's something you would never think of. But I'm like, wow. Running would make her like her mom. Just another monster in a world with too many uh, of them already. These new friends are some real ones. So Princess listens to her better angels and returns to negotiate with boy soldier. But why, why, why does she uncuff him? Somehow that doesn't backfire, but Princess still gives up her remaining leverage by answering all of the interview questions and worse, handing over the rifle. I still do not see the leverage in them knowing your name. Like I said, it's the post-apocalyptic world. Who cares what you're called? Uh, Like Negan. Is Negan even his real name? Maybe we will get the answer to that question in the sixth and final of these bonus episodes where we get to meet Lucille. Maybe we'll get the answer if Negan is his first name or last name. We shall see. So maybe Eugene was right. If Princess did not make things worse in the end, she sure did not make it much better. Or did she? Boy Soldier yells, I got her, and the door opens to reveal her three pals, all wearing ominous black hoods and surrounded by more armed troopers. We're left to think this could be a prelude to an execution, but maybe it's simply the preferred method of moving them from one location to the next without revealing anything about the camp. What if, by prying loose, those splinters princess actually saved the day so that was a great uh recap that was a great recap uh that didn't delve that much into her imagination until the very end but uh as far as them wearing the hoods they're not going to execute them so we can definitely cross that off the list 
They're not going to be executed. They are probably getting ready to move them. We don't know how Princess, no, sorry, how Yumiko, Ezekiel, Eugene handled their interrogation. If her interaction with uh, Eugene was real, he probably complied because he's smart enough to understand that if they know my name, you know, it doesn't really matter. Now, them giving away their community's location, that's a whole other matter. And I would not think any of them would do that. Uh, Whether, I mean, even though Eugene did tell Stephanie that they are in Virginia, you know, he did not actually give pinpoint GPS coordinates as to where in Virginia they are. So I don't think any of them would reveal the exact location of where Alexandria is, since that is really the last community that is standing, uh, besides Oceanside, which Oceanside, we do not see very much at all. I don't even know why Oceanside is still in the picture, where they're not giving it any screen time at all. Maybe as we go into season 11, that will change, and we will see a lot more of Oceanside, But up until now, starting with the Savior War in Season 7, Oceanside has been a back-end thing that we see every now and again. Uh, Even the people from Oceanside. The one big person that was left, Beatrice, uh, she died in the season finale. She got eaten by walkers at the end of the Whisperer War. So who the hell knows? Uh, Tyler Durden on YouTube writes, no, uh, welcome to Landa. Tyler writes, a co-worker of mine at my job with the college I work at is also a handler for one of the epic cast members when they do conventions. She has all the inside dirt and won't give me so much as a snip. Yes, though everybody who is associated with the show in one way or another, they are under very strict guidelines. They are not to reveal anything or else they will end up in court. Uh, Khaleesi writes, she has a great imagination. Um, Khaleesi also writes, Eugene would if it was to save his life. Absolutely. And besides, it's no harm in it, giving them your name. But yeah, Eugene would do whatever it takes to save his own hide? Has he changed enough over the years to where he would uh, withstand severe torture? I don't know. I want to say no. I want to say that if if anyone is going to crack first to not be in pain, it would be Eugene. He would be the weak link. Even though he has come a long way, but considering what he started off as, that's not really saying that much. Uh, So, anyway, welcome to uh, all the new people. Lenardi is with us on Instagram, giving us a smiley love face. Taffer is also waving at us on Instagram. Welcome to all you guys on Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Rowena is with us on YouTube, just joined, MDB Chronicle, 
uh, is here saying, bring Shane, Glenn, and Beth. <laughs> ah, we missed those guys. Shane, Glenn, and Beth. We definitely, definitely missed them. All right, here's another article. So, The Walking Dead puts its bonus episodes to good use with an intriguing experiment. Now, in the time we have left, let's see if we have an article that I know I found some that did not really like this episode. Let me go through the headlines here. Here it is. The Walking Dead Season 10 Episode 20 Review, one of the most needless episodes in the show's history. I do not agree with this, but we're going to go ahead and check it out. It's not easy to encase a dramatic narrative almost exclusively within the confines of a dark, tight space. Ryan Reynolds' psychological thriller Buried certainly took a decent stab at it back in 2010, and now The Walking Dead has attempted a similar conceit, throwing Princess into an empty train carriage following an underwhelming tussle with the Commonwealth for what is supposed to be a twisty, tension-drenched character study of the comic book Heroine. Uh, it goes on to say, unfortunately, the results are nowhere near as affecting as you'd hope. The episode 40-minute runtime slowly to tonally is inconsistent, awkwardly structured crawl. For what it's worth, Paola Lazaro makes the most of the material she's given. And, you know, Paola, you got to give her props. She's an amazing actress. And she has taken this role as princess on The Walking Dead. And hats off to her. Hats off to the casting directing people who casted her as princess. She is the perfect person to play this character. Uh, as princesses' claustrophobia and rising anxiety resurface painful memories of her traumatic past. Fluently peeling back the layers of her eccentric persona to reveal Princess's more human and vulnerable dimensions, Lazaro is in command of the character throughout, even if her social quirks have a tendency to grate rather than endear us to her. For what it's worth, I do not find her personality grating at all. But Lazaro's performance isn't enough to elevate Splinter beyond its miserably mundane, mundane with a plotline that even for the Walking Dead standards is embarrassingly thin. So remember how the first article broke Walking Dead fans into two categories? Those who don't give a crap about plot and are only interested in action and those who are actually interested in the plot and the storyline you can tell right off the bat that the person who's writing this article is really just interested in action and doesn't really care much about plot. Anyway, uh, after spending the first 15 minutes in the train carriage, Princess makes a break for it, only to talk to Eugene, who persuades her back into the carriage. She then faces interrogation by the Commonwealth before returning to the carriage where she decides to attempt another escape before, yep, you guessed it, heading back to the carriage. The episode's final moments in which Princess Yumiko Eugene and Ezekiel are held up 
by the Commonwealth Guards leave us in exactly the same spot as where we started, with barely anything learned to show for it. And I mentioned this at the top of the show, and I'm going to mention it again, because they made a reference to it right now. The purpose of this last episode that we saw was not to further the Commonwealth story. That is what season 11 is going to be about. The purpose of this episode was to further Princess's story and to give us background information. And that is the pattern of these six bonus episodes that we have been watching. They are to fill in gaps, especially with the big six-year time jump that we got right after Rick Grimes disappeared in season nine. That's what these episodes are doing. That's what we're going to get with the final of these six episodes called Here's Negan. We are going to get his backstory that we are all waiting for and what his interaction was with his wife, Lucille. How did she die? Did he kill her before or after she turned? How did she die? Um, And from the teasers that we have seen from Here's Negan, where we see him dressed up in his Negan getup with the baseball bat, him making the baseball bat. Uh, That's after Lucille died. I feel that teaser that we saw of Negan saying, little pig, little pig. I think that is the persona that he turns into right after he he has to kill or put down his wife, Lucille. That's what I'm thinking. Um, so let's see, Khaleesi writes, everyone who is here is about to show who is the big Negan. Uh, Jude is with us on YouTube as well. Hello, Jude. Welcome to the show. Eric Allen is with us on Facebook saying, I build race cars and host car shows. Okay. I plan to build something evil and do a vinyl wrap of the walking dead on a future project. That sounds interesting. Alejandra is with us on YouTube. Ah, I hate the hates. Some people just can't seem to understand that it isn't a continuation of the main plot. I totally agree with you, Alejandra. Some people out there just don't get it. They don't get what The Walking Dead is really ultimately about. And I've said this many times in the past. The Walking Dead is not about zombies. You could have made the backdrop of the show be about big, giant, man-eating rats. Okay, the whole purpose of The Walking Dead is what happens to humanity after civilization falls. So, to continue on with this article, to be clear, there is nothing inherently wrong with stories that trade plotting for character... Some of the best moments in television have come from bottle episodes in which the narrative momentum of the overarching season comes to a grinding halt to explore the people at its center. Undoubtedly, Splinter uh, just doesn't contain enough thematic meatiness or memorable dialogue to sustain that kind of self-imposed narrative limitation 
And what we're left with is instead one of the most needless episodes in the show's history. Completely disagree with that statement. There are a few minor moments of promise amidst the misfires. However, the big last-minute twist in which we discover that Princess has been imagining much of the events of the episode was pulled off smartly with subtle visual and audio clues that invoked a sense of the illusionary in the moment in the moments leading up to the big reveal. Equally, there's something to be said about the image of King Ezekiel hanging out with two fancy-clad walkers like three friends on a drunken night out. That was funny. It was funny. That imagination scene with Ezekiel and the two walkers, you know, yeah, we know it's all Princess's imagination. It was a light moment in a very serious episode. I liked it. Uh, offered a bright spot in a surreal comedy amidst the episode's darker shades. We even learned a few nuggets of new information about the Commonwealth, who processed newcomers with all the convulsion and coldness of an over-bureaucratic state. We're careful because we have a lot to lose, says the guard who brings Princess her lunch, that culture of insultery will not, will no doubt be a source of tension for our survivors once they enter the Commonwealth in mass next season. And we all know, we know this is coming. The communities, Alexandria, is not going to meet up with the Commonwealth and they're going to be singing Kumbaya around a campfire and everything is going to be hunky-dory. The Commonwealth consists of 50,000 people. And they're being run by a governor who goes by the name of Pamela. At least that's how it is in the comic books. Let's see what kind of changes they make to the TV show. Pamela could be a man on the TV show. We don't know. But there's going to be a lot of tension. Because the Commonwealth, according to the comics, is basically divided up into like a class system. If you were someone important in real life, before the apocalypse, then you are someone with an important standing in the Commonwealth society. If you were just a peon pre-apocalypse, then you are a peon in the Commonwealth. That's even if they allow you to stay. For now, however, the second-rate stormtroopers are still just that. Faceless guards wrapped up in mystery and the season's reluctance to color them with any great detail only exacerbated its meandering formlessness. With two episodes left in The Walking Dead Season 10, and the previous four swinging wildly in quality and entertainment value so far, here's hoping the showrunners can escape the bad taste left behind by Splinter, and sag us into season 11 with a strong sense of anticipation and promise. So, as I said, the person, did this person who wrote this article did not enjoy the episode. And like Alejandro, I believe, said, they just didn't get it. I really believe they just did not get it. Khaleesi writes, one of the four new ones, Splinter, has been my favorite. Uh, Lisa also agrees. Uh, 
Uh, Eric Allen on Facebook writes, if you go with the comics, it was Rick's story. The series is stretching it out. I have faith in the movies and look forward to some backstory on Glenn. So do I. Uh, And I think we're going to see Glenn again in the spinoff series, Tales of the Walking Dead, where each episode is going to be a story in and of itself. And I believe a whole, they're going to bring Stephen Yen back. And we're going to see the way I understand it. We're not going to find out uh, what Glenn was up to pre-apocalypse because he was just a kid. I mean, I don't see how they can make anything interesting out of a kid who is delivering pizzas. But we are going to get to see what Glenn was doing as the apocalypse was breaking out. And probably, ultimately, that episode will be ending uh, with how he comes across Shane, Laurie, and the rest of the group that we got to meet in Season 1 at the camp on The Walking Dead. Um, Colette also writes about Pope. Yeah, we still have that big uh, question mark on who this Pope character is, what's his beef with Maggie, and we don't really know much about that at all. And why he has picked Maggie, why is he trying to kill her? She apparently doesn't know either. So that needs to be explained as well. Eric Allen on Facebook writes, I think it will end up on a cliffhanger with a war between the two massive communities. No broadcast ending. Now, when you say massive communities, Alexandria, in my opinion, is not. A massive community. At best, they may be nearing a hundred members, if that. Uh, even combining them with all the people that came over from the hilltop, adding the people that came over from the kingdom, and then of course Oceanside, you're maybe looking at a couple of hundred, and then you have the Commonwealth that is fifty thousand strong. And then don't forget, we also have the CRM. Now, they're a force to be reckoned with. They are 200,000 strong, armed to the teeth, and they were a group that was prepared for if and when civilization ever fell, they would have everything they need, from helicopters to enough fuel to food to everything else. So Eric, yeah, so Eric explains he meant the CRM and the Commonwealth. In my opinion, on the Walking Dead TV show, since we're going into the final season, starting in the fall of this year, with uh, the first half of season 11, and then the second half of season 11 ending in 2022, I do not think the CRM and the Commonwealth are ever going to cross paths. That's just my opinion. I think they're going to keep them completely separate. The Walking Dead TV show is going to end with our survivors and whatever happens with the Commonwealth. The movies that are going to be centered around Rick Grimes, that's going to be the CRM. And then, of course, don't forget, we have the second and final season of World Beyond that's going to be released you would think sometime at the end of this year as well. So I think that's where the CRM is going to be mainly focused. 
And the CRM has also appeared on Fear the Walking Dead. In fact, the CRM has been more prominent besides World Beyond. It's been more prominent on Fear the Walking Dead than on The Walking Dead proper. So, like I said, in my opinion, I don't think the CRM and the Commonwealth are going to be crossing paths on The Walking Dead Mother Show. Uh, Lisa writes, if it's the CRM versus the Commonwealth, it's a no-brainer. You're right. The CRM can utterly annihilate any community. No one that we have met so far can put up any kind of resistance to the CRM. And we know from Fear the Walking Dead, Virginia is aware of the helicopter group. And she is deathly afraid of them. She doesn't know that much about them. That's why she's so eager to get information regarding the helicopter people and is willing to go to any lengths because she knows they are a threat to her. Virginia, on Fear of the Walking Dead, has a lot of people gunning for her. Uh, the CRM, possibly, they I don't know if they're really interested in her. To them, she's probably just a peon that's controlling some small faction in Texas. Uh, you know, she has the spray painters. We have the whole Madison question. We still do not know who's in charge of the spray painters on Fear the Walking Dead. A lot of questions to be answered there. And a reminder that the second half of Fear the Walking Dead is going to be premiering right after the six bonus episodes end. Uh, season 6B of Fear the Walking Dead is going to premiere on April 11th. So don't forget about that. Uh, Alejandra, quick question. When is season 11 supposed to come out? It has not been officially announced, but they are filming it as we speak. Right after they finished filming these six bonus episodes, they went straight into shooting season 11 of The Walking Dead. So if I was to guess... Uh, I think this year, The Walking Dead Season 11 is going to premiere when it should be premiering and when it has been premiering for the last 11 years, and that would be sometime in October. But it has not been confirmed. That is just my guess. Blair is with us on YouTube. I agree. It will be kept separate for the Grimes movie. It is not needed for a crossover. Too unrealistic. I completely agree with you, Blair. Keep the CRM in regard to the Rick Grimes storyline. Keep the Commonwealth with what the people of Alexandria have to deal with. I think that's a good separation. Not everything has to be mixed in together in the Walking Dead universe. It just doesn't have to be. You don't need to do it. Don't do it. Uh, I want to say hello to It's Suds Rock, who's joining us on Instagram. I-515 is also with us. W. Mondra is also with us. Uh, I Am is also bigger. Is giving me a shout out. Welcome, I Am. John 8 Fitness is giving us a thumbs up. Welcome to all you guys. We have a nice crowd on hand for a Wednesday night. We are coming up to the end of the show, guys. Uh, for all the newcomers who are still here, who are joining us, uh, I made an announcement last week. Uh, this show is going to be uh, airing on a major horror network. I have not announced the network yet, 
We're in the process of finalizing the deal. The live stream is going to continue uninterrupted on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. And then the episodes, all our prior episodes and all new episodes are also going to be going to this uh, horror streaming service that I'm not yet ready to announce. Hopefully, uh, we'll be finalizing the deal any day now, and I'll be able to make the big announcement as to where we're also going to be airing on television. A lot of exciting stuff is happening here with us at Dead Talk Live. I'm hoping to, like I said, have this deal finalized uh, no later than the end of this week. And I can come out and make the announcement. Exciting stuff happening here at Dad Talk Live. Don't forget this Friday, we have special guest Scott Renninger from the original Dawn of the Dead, who played Roger. You know, Roger on Dawn of the Dead, 1978, who when they were moving the trucks around to secure the mall, he got bit on the leg. And Roger is the famous one on the majority of the Dawn of the Dead posters as the zombie. Uh, that's the famous picture that is in all of the Dawn of the Dead uh, movie posters when the movie first came out back in 1978. Blair writes, Madison is my personal opinion not needed on fear, but there is so much love for the wooden character. She may be in a flashback. You know, I would love to see Kim Dickens come back and revive Madison. Yeah, I've told this to a lot of people who work on Fear. I told them, if you guys brought back Kim Dickens, it was, you have done an amazing job at keeping it a secret. You know, no leaks, nothing whatsoever. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. This hour flew by as it does every night. Please visit us on deadtalklive.com. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. So check us out. We're on Monday through Friday. I appreciate everyone joining me tonight. Uh, I want to welcome all the new viewers that have shown up tonight. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast. And until tomorrow night, guys, stay safe. Stay walking. Good night.